That was pretty close. Nearly a perfect weekend for the Blue Jays, only to see Jordan Romano blow a save in the series finale against Baltimore yesterday. And after a Yankees win, the Blue Jays once again five and a half games out of the American League East lead. But lots of intrigue remains for the Blue Jays, and we will look more closely at some of those big questions surrounding the team in the course of the next couple of hours. Hey everyone, Ben Nicholson-Smith here with you on Jays Talk Plus. Tomorrow afternoon, Blake Murphy will be back with you, but he's off today. So I am here with you for today's show. I will also have some help. Eno Saris will drop by in just a few minutes. Tim Leeper will be here later this hour. Plus, Ben Shulman, my broadcast partner in the Fan 590 booth this weekend, will be joining us later in the show, as well as former Blue Jays All-Star Ricky Romero. So lots to look forward to. And with their help, we'll discuss some of the key findings from the past few days. Jays taking two of three from Baltimore at Rogers Center before an off day today. We will look at some of the big decisions ahead for the Blue Jays. And of course, we'll look beyond the Blue Jays at least a little bit. I mean, how can you not at a time that Aaron Judge is chasing history, 59 home runs, points away from being the triple crown front runner in the American League. Albert Pujols at home run number 698 in his career. So we'll look beyond the Jays a little bit as well. Send in your questions. I want to hear from you in the course of the next couple of hours here on Twitter. You can reach me at B Nicholson Smith and you can text us 59590 with your name and location during the show. I'll be sure to get to some of those in the course of the next couple of hours as well so send in your thoughts send in your name where you're at and i will look at that uh as the show unfolds here from the weekend i mean it was a good weekend overall for the blue jays they were close to having a perfect weekend that orioles team looks good i mean adley rushman going the opposite way drawing some big walks that team is there's no doubt they're on the rise but this is probably not going to be their year they are six games back right now with the Toronto Blue Jays in the standings. Jays five and a half behind the Yankees at this point. But they're the top wildcard team. So they're still in a good position as they try to push here. Some big questions. Kirk, his health. Jose Barrios, his performance. A good start on the weekend for Barrios. Not a great start, but a good start for Jose Barrios. And some of their veteran players are coming up big. Matt Chapman with a huge game on Friday. A couple of home runs. George Springer showing why the Blue Jays paid $150 million for his services as well. But let's get started with a guest, Eno Saris of The Athletic, one of the great analysts in baseball. And thankfully, he doesn't work for a team, so he can talk very freely. And he joins <laughs> us now on the on Jays Talk Plus of The Athletic with the Stuff Plus metric. Eno, I can hear you there. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for making the time. It's great to have you on. And I, I guess, I mean, I, I could ask you tons of questions about, about this Blue Jays team, about baseball broadly at this point. Um, but, you know, with the Blue Jays, I feel like there's no better place to start than with Jose Barrios. And we saw him on the weekend. He was pretty good. He was not at his best. I mean, I can look at the numbers and I, I can see that the fastball has been crushed all season long. We can look at the contract, $120 million remaining after this season. What are you seeing from Jose Barrios this year? Yeah, uh, in the lens of Stuff Plus and Location Plus, 
he hasn't changed that much. I mean, I think that actually fits the eye test in terms of just the shape of his pitches, the movement, the velo, like most of that's still there. And so I think that's what's been so difficult about maybe trying to quote-unquote fix him and uh, try to get him back on track is that it's not like, uh, oh, your curveball lost six inches of movement or something. Let's get that back. It's more like, what do we do? (laughs) Your pitches all look the same. What we have found in the numbers is that the fastball location has really fallen off, and in particular the forcing. And so, you know, if he can uh, if he can locate it, that's great. That's when he has the better games. Uh, the question is, how do you coach that out of him? How do you put him in a position where, you know, he is commanding the fastball better? Um, and so how do you basically put the pieces together in a better way than he's been putting them together? Because the, the pieces are all still there. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. It certainly lines up with the eye test where he's hitting the radar gun at the same sort of speeds you would expect, 93-94 with the fastball. just happens that hitters are slugging 655 against it for whatever reason, and, and likely location has, has a lot to do with that. I guess for the, for the Jays, you know, if you're in their position at this point in the season with two-plus weeks remaining and then a likely wild-card series coming up, what's your approach with Barrios? Do you just kind of see what he can do and then keep an open mind with respect to potentially using him in an elimination game for the wild card series. Cause one of the big questions right now around the Jays is, you know, would you use stripling or Barrios for potentially a must win wild card game? Yeah. I mean, I think the, the nice thing uh, you know, about the way the blue Jays are put together right now is that you just push that decision off to the next day. <laughs> but, yeah, it'll come down to – could come down to the third game, and you've used Manoa and you've used Gossman, and you have that decision to make. I think it, the reality of the decision is it's going to be both. You know, it's going to be – if it does come down to a win or go-home situation, then everybody who hasn't pitched yesterday – and some of the guys who did pitch yesterday are all going to be available. Um, and so then the question is just which one do we start with? And, um, you know, I wonder if uh, you might not start with Berrios and see which one you've got, yeah. you know, and, and, and see if he's got the command that day. And if he has the command that day, then you've, then you've held Stripling on for the, for the next game and you, and you win your game. If he doesn't have the command, you take him out early and you still have Stripling to, to give you some depth. I think that'll probably be uh, the, the, the decision they come to. And if you look back at 2020, when they were last in the playoffs, they did something similar in a must-win game against the Rays, a decision that brought a lot of uh, uh, focus onto it, a lot of discussion afterwards as they went from Shoemaker to Robbie Ray. And basically, as you're outlining, they just went all hands on deck. So I think that likely makes sense if it is a must-win game at some point. But, you know, as long as we're talking about Stripling, I'm really curious to know what your model says about his change-up, about his overall performance. I mean, how, how do you assess who Ross Stripling has become? Yeah, you know, I used to think of him as a guy that just had a bunch of good pitches and nothing that was um, really amazing. Um, no real kind of out pitch. And I think that's, that, that comes from a little bit of bias. And one of the things that research and stuff, plus it's so important is movement can be as important as velocity. You know, there's a certain level of velocity you have to have to become a big leaguer. You can't just go out there and start throwing 70 mile an hour fastballs, but everybody just generally gets into the nineties. And then after that movement becomes really important. There've been guys with really big fastballs that can be hit because 
they're fast. I think of Nate Evaldi's fastball, you know. He throws it really hard, but people love to hit off of it because it's really straight. Um, and so, you know, when you look at Stripling, you see, oh, he doesn't really light up the radar gun, so maybe he's, he doesn't really have an out pitch. I think that's changed this year. Um, his changeup is one of the five best changeups in the game when it comes to uh, my Stuff Plus metric. And so he's got a real out pitch. And then beyond that, yes, most of his other pitches are around average or a little bit worse by Stuff Plus, uh, but he commands everything well. So it's a plus changeup and then three or four other pitches that he just commands really well. And it's really working for him. I mean, one of the five best changeups in, in baseball, that's like, that's up there. I'm almost surprised to hear that it's that it's that high on your on your rankings. Even though, even though I've seen it and even though it's been very good, like that's pretty high praise. Yeah, and it actually represents uh, kind of a new thinking or, or, or kind of a, a, a little semi-finding um, you know, in this, that um, he releases his changeup. He has a kind of an over-the-top release point. And some of the best changeups in the game have this over-the-top release point. And I think what we've been finding through the lens of things like Stuff Plus or, uh, you know, seam-shifted wake is this way of thinking of um, how the ball, the, the seams impart movement. What we've been finding recently is, there's a sort of deception born of your release point and your movement. And if you can put together weird movement, like if you can put together a plus changeup from an over-the-top release point, hitters don't expect that. Hmm. They see over-the-top and they think, oh, this is going to be like a Drew Smiley situation where everything, nothing has any wiggle and everything's just up and down. Um, and, uh, you know, what, what stripling is, I'm over-the-top, but I've got a changeup that has a lot of horizontal movement. And the hitters just don't expect that. So... Uh, he, it's a little bit of, of deception based on his arm slot. Really interesting. Now, Stripling at this point, 32 years old. He turns 33 in November. Uh, you know, for the Jays, I think it's pretty clear that their biggest need or one of their biggest needs this offseason will again be starting pitching once Stripling departs as a free agent. I, I expect just based on the the experience that Stripling has had here and any comments that he's made, I would think that he would be open to returning to the Blue Jays, but of course he'll have other suitors and not to totally jump past the playoffs and, and skip ahead to free agency <laughs> here. But, you know, I do like talking contracts and I, I'm curious. I mean, if you're, if you're another team, how do you assess a pitcher who's about to be 33, but who's having this kind of year? Like what kind of market do you think exists for him this winter? You know, the, one of the things that is true about stuff and location is that stuff is stickier year to year. Um, than location. So command is a, a tricky thing to, to make a bet on. I think uh, you could look at, uh, you know, Ryu's deal as, uh, as maybe somewhat similar in terms of timing, uh, you know, age-wise and skill set, you know, a little bit more based on command than, than you know, top-notch stuff. Yeah. And you can see um, how it's worked out for him that, you know, he definitely had, he had a really good season to start, but uh, a little bit up and down, a little bit of, you know, injury is a big part of it too. But I think that, um, you know, uh, I think that Stripling won't get much better than, you know, four for 80 as Rio did. But the fact that Rio's deal is still on this Toronto team is relevant because uh, they're not really losing that much salary off of the, off of the roster. I think Anthony Bass is really the, uh, and David Phelps, that's not, not a lot of money. And then Stripling himself. 
And then they have some really tough arbitration cases coming up. Uh, Teoscar's in his third year. Uh, Vlad's in his second year of arbitration. Uh, those guys are going to get expensive. And, you know, I think once you factor in all of the arbitration raises, uh, you're basically not going to have much wiggle room if you're the Blue Jays next year. So they're either going to have to go past the sort of 175 you know, million dollars threshold and get closer to 200 million uh, to get a pitcher, or they're just going to have to depend on, you know, within the organization uh, to, to supplement Gossman and Manoa. So um, I think it's a real question of just basically long-winded uh, how much money are they going to spend? You know, how much money do the Blue Jays have to spend even? Yeah. I wonder if, I think you could see some big disparities too on how teams assess stripling because, you know, some teams I expect would look at him and say, okay, he's throwing 91, 92, you know, he's about to be 33 years old. Well, sure. We'll offer him a two year deal, but you know, it's going to be modest right. dollars and you know, it's, it, it's going to be relatively small and you know, there's a case to be made for going bigger. Um, but I, I think I'd probably lean toward, you know, two years, 26. I, I think I'd be comfortable with that. And, and that might not get it done, which, you know, good for Ross Stripling. If that's the case, if he's put himself into territory where, you know, he's going to the Steven Matz number or beyond, or even, you know, to have Ryu thrown out there as a comp, then great for him to to turn his career around after a year where he began the season as kind of an extra guy in this bullpen. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the reason why people develop these stuff plus metrics. You know, these types of metrics, all, most, all, most teams have them, is because they're, they move so quickly. And um, that's, that's the, what separates teams. So, you know, uh, the, the, uh, you know, Billy Bean once told me the only thing I can do is move quicker than anybody else. You know, I can't spend more money. You know, <laughs> I can't. And so, you know, you'll see him, uh, and the A's they'll, they'll make bets on, on small samples because, you know, when they signed Rich Hill back in the day, they, they only had, uh, you know, 6 million or so to spend on a, on a starting pitcher, but they were like, Hey, Rich Hill, you know, looks like he's doing pretty good. He had a good three weeks in September, <laughs> you know, and that was good enough to get him a deal. So you're talking about uh, Matt's uh, is an interesting name for, for me. Uh, let me see here. What was the deal there? 44 uh, over four. Four I think. years and 44. Yeah. 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 Like, I think he can do that. Yeah. I think, I think maybe, maybe the three-year version of that where it's three and 30, I think he can yeah. do that. Um, and then, then, then the question is if, uh, if the Blue Jays have that money, um, you know, and maybe it, maybe what happens is it depends a little bit on this postseason because, you know, that's how you, that's, you make money in postseason runs yeah. and you can, and you can, you can pay that forward. And, and you can also get ownership to say, okay, fine, let's go from 175 to 200 million, uh, because we have a playoff team and, and, you know, this next signing could be, uh, what gets us to the world series next year. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think the. The playoff run has the chance to shape a lot of things about this team moving forward, about the narrative surrounding it, about their decisions, um, for for sure. And and I guess as long as we're on the rotation, let's. I want I want to hear your thoughts about Alec Manoa as well because he went out there again yesterday, six innings, and it looked for a while like he might have to you know leave after you know, I don't know five innings. His pitch count was getting high, but he just somehow finds a way every time. And this is a pitcher in his first full season. He's only 24 years old. He's approaching. I mean, he's going to be close to 200 innings by the time the regular season is done in an era where we just don't see that a lot. 
especially from pitchers at this point in his career. So I, I guess, you know, big picture or on a granular level with, with, with stuff plus, what are you seeing from Manoa this season? Yeah, the stuff has been eroding, uh, but the results haven't been. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I keep kind of uh, looking, you know, checking in and, and seeing like, you know, you know, what, what, when's it going to, when's it going to come, you know, when's it, when are the chickens going to come home to roost on this, you know? And like, uh, 261 ERA in the second half, 228 in the first half. Uh, you know, most of the support is there in terms of the strikeout rate is about the same as it was. The walk rate's a little bit higher, but nothing to be concerned about. Um, I just think he's a really good pitcher. And, you know, I think we do need to rethink uh, how we do innings. There was Alex Anthopoulos, I think, when he was working for the Blue Jays, uh, was once asked in a press conference, you know, how do you guys determine injury? Uh, how do you turn, determine innings caps for a young pitcher? And he says, you know, we just add 20% from their last year. And and somebody said, why? And he said, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, um, I think things have maybe advanced since then. But if you look at uh, Alex Anthopoulos' new team, the Braves seem uh, fairly okay with, like, taking pitchers that haven't necessarily had those innings before, like Spencer Strider. And uh, and just letting them go. So, um, you know, there's, these are young guys, uh, and nobody really has the innings uh, behind them in their rearview mirror because we had that shortened 2020. Uh, you know, some guys had no minor league season in 2020, um, and so everybody has this sort of missing foundational block in their history. Everyone's out in front, and in terms of uh, you know their innings progression, so. I think what you do is you watch, uh, make sure the release point's not dropping. Uh, you know, watch, make sure the spin rate's not dropping. Um, once those two things can be a real marker for injury and fatigue, uh, and you just try to manage him as best you can. And if if you get to a point, you know, in the in the in the last couple of weeks where you can give him a, a you know a start where he just goes two innings or something, and 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 you know it's almost like a rest start, I would do that if you could. Yeah, it's interesting, and the Jays certainly watch it closely. I've asked them about it a number of times, and they always kind of shy away from explaining the details. Uh, I, yeah, I, I don't want to give you the special sauce. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So they uh, they're watching it closely. Um, you know, clearly going beyond innings, beyond pitches, um, looking at recovery, looking at fatigue, um, and how he's how he's coming out between starts. It'll be interesting too. Like, do you? Does, I don't know if you have any data on this, but do you have any sense as to whether his stuff or whether in general pitcher stuff would bounce back if they are able to get a period of rest during the season or toward the end of the season where we are now? Well, you know, we do have uh, results on, you know, short rest and long rest. And we know just as an example there that uh, pitchers are much worse on short rest. Yeah. So if you take away the rest, I haven't, seen you know results on you know extra rest um but i do know that rest is uh you know dr mike sun who's who's based in in toronto uh and works with teams on fatigue uh, days of rest is absolutely uh, a, a huge factor in what he's tracks tracks for fatigue and so he would say yeah more rest is better um you know you could look at i guess the the angels are uh, going with a six-man rotation because of Shohei Otani. Yep. Um, some of those guys are, are having good years, but I, I don't think that it 
that's a definitive answer for you. I don't have a definitive answer for you, but I would assume uh, that they would do better with more days of rest. Yeah. And they would, that their stuff metrics would do better too. It stands to reason that that would definitely be the case. And I wonder if the Jays, you know, if they do find themselves right now, it's so close in the wild card, but if, if they can no, create, no. <laughs> it's, so you kind of have to push at this point. Um, but it, man, mm-hmm. if they can create just a little bit of separation, then there's probably a good case to be made for just trying to get him and Gosman and even Barrios potentially, uh, really anyone, just a, a bit of a breather. Um, but I, I guess, you know, those guys are are one part of the equation. And as the season gets closer toward those must-win games, you start talking about the bullpen as well. And, and I guess just as you look at this Blue Jays bullpen here, led, of course, by Jordan Romano, who's been great all year, blew a save yesterday, but he's he's been really good for this team. Do you, do you think they have enough in there to get to where they want to go? I do. I do. I, I was a big proponent of, of the, the pickups they had. Um, I like pop and uh, he has a, a really good, a really good slider that he's been using a little bit more. Um, and uh, you know, I don't, I don't think that he's like a back end guy. That's like going to be your closer next year, but he is absolutely what you need to have if you need to get four and a half innings or four innings out of your relievers. You know, <laughs> like they can't all be back end guys. Um, I think Bass, as uh, in this new version of him, I mean, uh, you know, you guys are well acquainted with him, but he's been throwing the slider more than he ever has. Um, and I think he can absolutely be kind of a seventh inning guy. So, um, you know, and then Romano, I think, has proved himself. So now you're just you're just wondering if you have, you know, what it takes in the eighth inning, I think, sometimes. Because you're like, oh, yeah, you know, it looks good here. It looks good there. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I like Simber and I like Garcia some. But if there is any weakness, it would be having sort of a, uh, you know, a, a Robin to, to Romano's Batman. For sure. For sure. Um, before we let you go, you know, uh, and I don't want to get you in trouble here. So first, uh, do you vote for American League MVP this year? No, I have uh, American League Cy Young. Excellent. So I will ask you about American League MVP in that case. Uh, what a great race. I mean, Otani is doing incredible things, um, deserving of the MVP. Aaron Judge has 59 home runs and might win the Triple Crown. How, how would you approach that one if you were voting on AL MVP this year? I think I would give it to uh, to Aaron Judge. You know, right now he's got, by over at Fangraphs, he's got a 10-win season, 10 wins of replacement. And uh, that has happened about 54 times in the history of baseball ever. And so once you get to 10 wins, that's like a Hall of Fame type season. That's a legendary season, top 50 season ever. Yes, that's, that's, that's really, really impressive. Recently, it's only been done by Mike Trout and Mookie Betts uh, as sort of since 2000. You know, those are, those are the types of players that give you a 10-win season. And, and it's always really remarkable when you do it. Now, Otani uh, is not having a bad season. Uh, you know, if you add his pitching and his, uh, and his uh, thing together, he's got, you know, eight and a half, nine wins. Um, and so he's, he's right there too. Um, and it's very tempting to say, well, what about the extra, you know, the extra roster spot and that, and that extra value that, that sort of strains war. Uh, but the thing is, when you think about an extra roster slot, you know, in your fantasy league, the extra roster slot is an amazing player. You know, yeah. Um, in the real life, the extra roster slot is the guy that 
you know, isn't a real big prospect that you get to call up or Auto a guy you get off of waiver claims, yeah. you know, and waiver guys, you know, it's like a half a win. So you know, at best, usually it's zero because it is a replacement player. Some of you got off of waivers. So uh, I don't think that we're missing a lot uh, in the war construct, uh, construct as it is. I do think that it makes us wonder about things within war. And, you know, the, the thing that, that Otani does that's really interesting is that you have a rule about thir- you can only have 13 pitchers on your roster. Otani doesn't count as a pitcher. Right. So that is a way for a team to sneak having 14. So that seems, oh, that's a, that seems like a lot of value, except – Otani can only pitch every six days. So that extra roster slot that you've got has to go to a pitcher. (laughs) So, um, you know, it's, there is some, there is some stuff that Otani makes me think about, but um, I just see judges having one of those legendary seasons and, uh, and I'd give it to him. Yeah. I I tend to agree. Um, You know, really appreciate the time. We'll be reading you at the athletic listening on rates and barrels, following your stuff plus metric. Appreciate the time today. Thanks. All right. Thanks for having me. All right, there is Eno Saris of The Athletic. Just great analysis, as always, from Eno. When we come back here on Jays Talk Plus, we'll check in with Tim Leeper, former Blue Jays first base coach and the coordinator of outfield and base running for the San Francisco Giants. Always great to catch up with Leap. So that's coming up next on Jays Talk Plus on Sportsnet 590 The Fan and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Starting Monday, be sure to tune into the J.D. Bunkus podcast weekday mornings at nine on Sportsnet 590 The Fan or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus here on Sportsnet 590, the fan and the Sportsnet radio network. Ben Nicholson-Smith here with you talking all things Blue Jays in the course of the next hour and a half or so. And where better to go on that front than <laughs> Tim Leeper, former Blue Jays first base coach and the coordinator of outfield and base running for the San Francisco Giants is on the line. Tim, how's it going? I'm doing great. I think there's lots of better places to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, but here I am. Here you are. Here you are. It's good to have you on Leap. Always good to talk uh, baseball with you for sure. Um, hey, so I want to ask you about the Jays, but uh, our pal John Gibbons has a Twitter account. Are we going to see you on Twitter at any point in the next little well, while? He's also got a new uh, podcast that's coming out too, which I I haven't heard the first one yet, but I think his first guest was Donaldson. So I'm sure that was uh, entertaining. I'm going to have to be sure to listen to that, but uh, there will be no, no, uh, no Twitter account for me. Okay. (laughs) No, I'm going to stay the way I am. (laughs) Well, then that means this is our access to you. So we'll we'll make the most of this, uh, this segment here as we pick your brain here about the Jays and major league baseball a little bit. Um, This, this weekend, Jordan Romano, Saved one game, blew another save. You've known Jordan for a while. You've seen him develop from a Rule 5 pick. Well, even before he was a Rule 5 pick, a prospect coming up. And now he's this closer who's second in Major League Baseball in saves. I mean, as you've watched his development, what what kind of stands out to you most? Well, gosh, just, you know, and I've watched his development a little bit more from a Baseball Canada perspective because yeah, I think he was, when he was drafted in my first year in the big leagues here at 14. So, you know, you kind of, we kind of followed him as long as the other uh, younger Canadian players when we're, when we're going to fill, uh, well, 
you know, Pan Am game spots or things like that. So I could just remember him coming up as a starter and just how, you know, he had that great year in Lansing uh, in one of his first years. And then, then when he got, and I just kind of followed the rest of it. And the, the thing for me is when he got rule five, I, I thought we'd lose him just because I thought he was pretty electric with the stuff and, and, you know, he's a good guy. And I, I was, I, I was kind of miffed that he got left off the, you know, left off the roster and taken. So, uh, that, that's kind of when I really started like bearing down and started watching him pitch. And then just that move to the bullpen form to see how the velocity just creeped up and then to see how the command started to get better with the fastball. And now he's just finished it off with the, with the slider, you know, and when you watch him, he just, he's always around the plate. I mean, it's such dominant stuff to begin with, but the fact that he, he works it on the edges all the time, it's just incredible. So it's just a great, it's great for me on so many different fronts. The first thing is the local kid, he gets to play for his hometown team and he's such a good guy like that. That's hard for guys and it doesn't face him in the least, but just to, just to kind of see him grow and grow up and, and and do the things he's doing like it's just uh it's a pleasure to see it i, I just love this guy i love all the canadian guys that play pro baseball but then again to do it in toronto like that's that's even better well you're right you know like you mentioned the the canadian factor and it's it's not it's not nothing like on that 15 team there were a lot of canadians dalton pompey was one of course russell martin we saw michael saunders jeff francis there are a lot of guys who played for the jays in in that era and you know for some players like it actually can be a little bit daunting in front of your friends and family when the hopes of a nation are on you it's a little bit different than pitching for the diamondbacks right we do have a different perspective here too like it is i mean you do play for a nation and you you notice that everywhere you go but i think the hometown thing is even even tougher because you know you got you got the friends and the family that you grew up with and they've been here and you know jordan's only five years six years removed out of high school so like those guys are still your buddies and you know, the guys from the Lululemon store <laughs> used to work in Markham probably well, you, you want tickets all the time. But, like, it, it, it's, it's great. It is difficult. It's, it's a lot of challenges. But, like, he seems to handle them all tremendously well. For sure. And on, on that front, he's got a lot of support. I mean, this Blue Jays team has, has gone from being maybe a, a young, up-and-coming team to, at this point, I, I'm not sure that I would even describe them that way anymore. I mean, you see veterans like Matt Chapman and George Springer around and – from my standpoint as a, as a media member, I can get a sense of what kind of impact these guys have in the dugout and, and behind closed doors. But, you know, you've seen this firsthand as a, as a coach, as a, as a coordinator within organizations when you have veterans like this who can lead by example and who can provide some sort of structure and direction for everyone else in the, on the team and on the roster. What kind of impact can someone like a George Springer have in your experience? It's, it's funny because they they impact everybody and and the, the the really good core of this team is still your guys that were drafted and developed by the Jays and they've gone through the minor leagues together, but like even for us, you know, I, mean, I can just relate this back to us and like in, in going from fourteen to fifteen, you know, bringing in Russ, you know, he immediately changed, you know, and, and up 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 the ante for us big time. The guy's been in the playoffs every single year, and even though like we had an older team, you know, with guys with Batista and Encarnacion, you know, bringing Rush changed that dynamic as well. And then you bring in Donaldson who won the MVP and that changed the dynamic like in, in many ways and, and, and pushed us even a little bit better. And, and so and it went on for the trade deadline, you know, when you brought in David Price, when you, when you brought in, you know, too low, everyone we brought in, it changed everything. So, you know, to have these guys come with a younger core, who's kind of been on the cusp of, 
getting to the playoffs. And but but these guys actually have like it's a nice nice little compliment. I, I think the one thing they've gone gone out and done, and even last year, you know, with Simeon and you know and Robbie Ray, you know, you got quality guys too. Like you know, Robbie Ray was great in his own because he just developed over here and and just just his great stuff became usable and won a Cy Young, but just the quality of guy like Marcus Simeon, what he was. And, you know, he, he was a pro, but he also, he played 160 games a year. Matt Chapman to me is kind of the same way. He, he does those things. So George Springer has been the catalyst since he's been here, just him being on the field. I mean, the win loss record with him on the field and him without it, it. I think that tells you enough, but just what he does in the office, how he gets everything going. Like it just makes everybody better because I think, Everybody on the team thinks they maybe know what it takes to get there, yeah. but you don't really know until you actually get there. And these guys have been a little bit closer than the core have there. So I think they affect uh, everybody in, in, in a better way and elevate their game a little bit more. For sure. And I think Semyon, that's a great call too. Like he was so good at that last year and you can kind of see echoes of that in Bo Bichette and others in the way that they're preparing for games this year. You know, with, with Springer, and he was hit on the elbow, on the left elbow, so that's his good elbow <laughs> um, of the two. Yeah, it um, was. Yeah, it was the good elbow, <laughs> right. Um, so he was hit on the left elbow yesterday, stays in the game. You know, as if you're a coach in that situation, like, you know, you, you coach first base here for a long time, you see a guy who's grinding, he's banged up in that situation, he takes a pitch off the elbow. Like, what, what are you thinking? Do you want him to stay in the game? Do you want him to go? Like, what's the dynamic in that situation? You want him to play. You yell. You yell your sweat. You yell. You yell the F word. Yeah. <laughs> and, you're like, and you want to make sure he's okay when he gets down there. You know, I think right now you just want him in every game you can get. And obviously, they're in a point now. Where, eh, they, they, you are, and you are. You're safely in. It, it looks like. Um, and they did a lot to help their help their cause this weekend. But you also the, the positioning's a big deal. So you just want him to play. You just know you're a better team with him out there. And and you also know he's going through a lot. So I mean, I, I just think the reaction is. Like, oh, crap, here we go again. But, uh, again, I think at the end of the day, you know he's where his heart is. You know he's going to give you everything he got. You know he wants to be in the lineup, even if he's hurting. So you, you just want to get him to the finish line as safely as you possibly can and just go from there. So it's never it's never great when your best players get hit. It's never great when they get hit in the arms and the hands. It's just, and it's just a really kind of a, a sick feeling when you're over there, for sure, because you're kind of defenseless and you can't do anything about it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So yesterday for the Jays was kind of a uh... – you know, it, it was obviously a letdown. They lost, and the Yankees were losing at one point against the Brewers, and then, you know, the Yankees came back and, and won it, of course. So the Jays are now five and a half back in the American League East race. I, I'm wondering, like, this time of year, and you get different answers from players on this in the moment. I mean, David Phelps admitted to me last week, he said, hey, this is box score season. Like, we look, we, we take a look around and check what's going on. And other players kind of say, it's, hey, it's we're just trying to focus on ourselves, and we're just trying to keep the focus on our individual games. So, you know, you've, again, you've been there for, for years, you know, how, how much scoreboard watching does happen this time of year. It, it's a ton, but it's also like, it's a hugely independent thing. I mean, there's times, I think when, you know, like I'll go back to 15 when we knew we were good. Like I didn't even worry about it. I didn't know where we were. Um, because I just thought if we just win, we'll take care of our own business and we'll be fine. I can remember kind of knowing where we were when we played a day-night doubleheader on a Saturday in Yankee Stadium. It was a four-game series in New York, and I knew that was a huge series for us to kind of separate ourselves and get the Yankees out of there, and they were always tough. And I can remember being kind of a little bit nervous going to Atlanta and hoping we didn't play play down to them. At that point, they weren't very good. So we were hoping we didn't play down to them, and we came through that fine, and I didn't worry about it. 
you know, go, go to 16 when we're chasing that wild card, man. That was like, you're looking at that score. You're not at your scoreboard watching the entire game. Yeah. Like your focus really on, on what you need to do and you know, you need to win, but at the same time, you, you know, that that help really matters. So you're kind of looking all the time, but it, it just changes from year to year. You know, it's funny. I, I never used to personally never used to like to look where the standings are. And then when you always went to Fenway, there was just staring you right yeah. in the face right there. So like in 14, we, we went up to like a six and a half game lead, I think in June or maybe early July, but you could, I kind of also felt like our team wasn't that great. We needed to get better. So you, you kind of you didn't really want to look at the standings because you realized it was like six and a half one day you and that year, and the next day it was maybe six, and then the next day maybe it was four and a half. So it was kind of like a series of slow paper cuts when you watch it. So it was painful. So it really varies. I think it varies for individuals, and I think it varies kind of depending on on where you are and how you feel about your team at the time. Yeah, for me, like I barely look at it for the first few months of the year, and then now I find myself locked in. Like I'm like watching, I'm refreshing <laughs> the scores constantly just to see where things sit. And I, I guess like along those lines, you know, I also find myself speculating about what the Jays playoff roster is going to look like. I sent shy to VD an email the other day, trying to map it out and trying to have him poke holes <laughs> in what I had. And, you know, I, I, I'm sure that some folks within the blue Jays organization have had those discussions, but does that like, did, would the coaching staff be having those discussions right now? Or does that happen later? How does that unfold? I'll just go, but based on our experiences, we never really did. But like, I don't know if we, I don't know if we had the moves that they had to make. I mean, I think, I think on the, on the, with the Gibby and Pete side, on the pitching side of it, and, and I'm sure Alex was obviously involved in that too. Like, you know, we had to make some tough decisions with Dickie, I think, a couple on one occasion and, and Mark Burley and things like that. So I, like, as far as the coaching staff, I know for me personally, I was never really involved in anything. I think the only, times we were involved in things like having Ezekiel Carrera in 16 and, and kind of like having an offense that was just kind of weird. Like, who do we start? Like, who's going to be our guy? Is it him or is it, you know, uh, or is it, or is it going to be Upton? You know, we just did like, that was like our biggest decision. But I think for those, those rosters, and I think they got some big decisions to make on what are you going to do in the catching position? Do you want to add the extra bat? Do you need another long guy just in case to cover you for something? Um, but they, they're happening now probably a little bit but but it really in earnest probably like the last week of the season and and i think usually it's just best to have a few people involved and i'm sure you have your analytics department involved too just to kind of play out every scenario that you can like what happens if we get blown out in game one you know you prepare for the worst and you kind of hope for the best and then, and then i think you kind of just kind of go from there yeah for sure i think you have to take all four starting pitchers just in case something happens oh yeah um, yeah and, and then kind of adjust from there but you're right the catchers that's a question just depending on Kirk's health, I think he'll be good to go for the playoffs. But what do I know? I mean, he hasn't played yet. So, you know, we'll see how that unfolds here. Yeah. Um, and Guriel, Guriel's yeah. probably in that same boat. I think probably yeah. a big decision is what are you going to do with Kikuchi? Is Kikuchi make your roster or not? And that's that, that's probably going to be the big one for them, I think. And to me, I, I think that would be a no. I, I don't know if you view it differently or, you know, obviously he's got a big contract, but I, I just, I'm not sure that. I'd rather probably have Mitch White or Trevor Richards if you need to absorb a couple innings than Kikuchi. Yeah, if it comes down to those, those absolutely. And it's just it'll be interesting to see how that how that falls because at the end of the day, too, like if you're in a situation, you get to like a 13th or 14th inning, and you've got a guy you know that can punch people out, even though the numbers aren't great. Do you want to take the chance there or whatever? But based on what I've seen right now, that would be that would be a tough one because he hasn't really fit. Uh, into the reliever's role like quite like you would want him to. Yeah, exactly. It seems like that first batter, it's always like a bit of a struggle, and then he'll have a good flash. But, uh, you know, I'm I'm just not 
totally sold and you want to hit the ground running, right? You want to have guys who are, who are playing well, who are healthy, who can kind of make that roster in stride, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because you, look, it's a three-game series. I mean, and and it, it can turn on one pitch. So yeah, you need you need your best guys out there going forward. And and I, obviously, when you're going good, like that spot won't matter anyway. But like yeah. again, you look at that Baltimore Wild Card game with us. We went to 14 innings, and you know they had a they they didn't roll out their best reliever, and then they have a choice there. And like that would be the, the place where you use that guy, right? And then yep. you know it happens. It happens. You got to be prepared for it. Exactly. Now going a little bigger picture here because. You know, this is this is pretty seismic changes when when it comes to Major League Baseball and some of the rule changes that are going to happen in 2023. I, I want to pick your brain, Leap, just on on what stands out to you, what your impressions are of the new rule changes. We'll see a pitch clock in Major League Baseball. We'll see uh, restrictions on pickoffs, bigger bases, restrictions on on shifts. What do you make of all this? Well, I, I, I'm living it firsthand right now. So, I just from my standpoint, the biggest impact you're going to see is a pitch clock and it's honest to god it's awesome it really is great in a way it's awesome because the game is going to go from a three-hour game to a two-hour and 20-minute game and 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 the pace of the game is better things happen more there's more action it's really good and that's the one biggest thing i can take away from this season is the pitch clock has made a huge difference and they didn't go to the pitch clock early in triple a they went to it a little bit later and immediately cut the times of the games and those, those are a lot of high scoring games and if you could have like a double digit you know 10 to 8 game or, or 12 to 10 game and it was under three hours and that was like that was beautiful one thing i will miss though like i was watching i remember watching the uh the red Sox and and the blue jays series Romano's facing J.D. Martinez. It's like a 1-1 count. It's a huge pitch. He's behind the mound with his head down. He's getting himself geared up. J.D. Martinez is at the plate, and he's got his head down and getting his geared up. And they both took that deep breath at the same time, and, and Romano stepped on the mound. J.D. stepped in the, into the box. And, like, those moments are so cool. I know it takes a little time to develop, but you're watching a Major League Baseball game late in, in a really big game, and you see that thing, that concentration, those guys get ready. That's going to be really missed. I'm sure it'll be replaced by something else, but that's, that, that's where the pitch clock kind of gets you a little bit. Like, if you're a purist of the game and you kind of like that, like like that that'll you'll you'll be bummed out a little bit about that the 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 bases are huge <laughs> they're gigantic yeah. they, at least they look the surface area of the bases is gigantic and it, it's not really a factor i will say this like i look at the old bases now and it looks it looks so small I'm like how did we ever play on these before yeah. but it, it, um they don't really make a difference i know they make differences in bank bank plays and things like that but it's not something you'll really notice a whole lot uh the pickoff rule will be kind of interesting to see because I think the the pitcher can disengage from the rubber twice, and that that includes a pick that includes a uh, a pick out two pickoff plays, and then the third time he has to get the runner out if he does it. So I see a lot of teams in the minor leagues trying to manipulate this rule, trying to play it, but but in reality, a lot of them are just getting into bad base running habits, and I think this is something that can be defended. So if you try to draw two early pickoffs over thinking the guy's not going to throw over on the third one. Like, and you know, you take a giant lead, you know, what's to stop you from go ahead and just throwing over again and picking the guy off. So I'm seeing, I'm seeing a lot of that. I'm seeing people adjust to that rule and it hasn't really come into play that much. And then I'm missing when the shifts so is going to be a huge deal. And I, and I saw it too. Like you, you think there's left-handed hitters. Oh, people are going to play for contact more, but left-handed hitters now can still swing for the fences but if they do top one and roll one over, there's going to be a hit for them somewhere. So I think that's the, the shift will 
mainly it's going to really, really help uh, the guys that uh, are left-handed hitters and, and put the ball in play a little bit more. But it also it allows guys to have a little bit more back control from the right side, like being able to you know shoot the, the, the hole between first and second with a runner on first base is going to come into play a little bit more. And at least you hope it does because, you know, that's – See, that's really good quality baseball. So the, the pitch clock is going to be the one that really changes the game more than anything else. And uh, you, that, and I, I think that's a good thing. The, the quicker pace has definitely been nicer. It's going to be great. Yeah, I, I'm really excited for the pitch clock. I think it's I think it's going to be a really welcome change for Major League Baseball, for fans. Um, you know, if you're just at the ballpark, it's going to be quick. If you're watching on TV, the pace will be there. Um, so I think it's going to be a really good thing for baseball overall. And I, and I wonder too, like, cause your point about these moments where it's like a really big moment and you actually want the game to breathe a little bit more. I think it's a really good point. And I wonder if there could be some sort of an adjustment where, whether it's for the playoffs or even, even if you just did it like eighth inning on ninth inning on some sort of, Hey, if the game is within X number of runs, do you find a way to just allow these players to have a little bit more time to work with? I think there are some discussions on that. And I, you know, when, when these, again, as, as much as they try to play nice with each other and I know the players are real happy with some of the things that happened. And like, you know, I think that was definitely one of the things they discussed, especially for the late inning guys, but obviously it's going to roll the other way first. So it would be nice. It would be nice to see, but like, I, I don't think major league baseball has a way of, like once they institute something going, they have a hard time going back on it as much as they like, they, they said they like change. They don't like to change their rules at all. So, yeah. So I think what you're going to see is what you get. And the guys are going to have to like, just come up with new routines and find a way to clear their head a little bit quicker. And, you know, who's to say that's not going to be special too. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. But I, I, I miss those moments. Those moments where, the, like you put it perfectly, where the game needs to breathe a little bit. Yeah. Like, th- that's one of the cool things about baseball, and, and, and it's going to be something that's going to you know take a little bit of adjusting to. For sure. Hey, Lee, before we let you go, um, Aaron Judge, 59 home runs already. He's pushing for the triple <laughs> crown. I mean, do you, how many home runs do you think he ends up with this year? Oh gosh, how many games I got left? He's gonna he's gonna get sixty one, yeah. and it's gonna isn't it cool? Like it's kind of like him chasing Maris, and there, I, I forget about the McGuire Sosa years when when he's going through this right now because no one else is even coming close yeah. to what he's doing, and doing it in this free agent year too. Like this is awesome to watch, and he's just dominating the game right now, making it look simple. And this is if you're a fan of the game, like it's it's. Just to sit and watch his at-bats right now is really a joy. And I've been in this game my whole life. And watching him play right now is just absolutely incredible. Lasers everywhere. Into the seats, <laughs> yes. into the gaps. What an, what an incredible player. Um, Leap, thanks so much for your time. Always great to catch up. And uh, we'll catch up soon, I hope. Awesome. Absolutely. Talk to you later, Ben. Thanks for having me on, man. You got it. There's Tim Leaper former Blue Jays first base coach and the coordinator of outfield and base running for the San Francisco Giants. I want to remind everyone, you can send in your questions to me via Twitter. You can text us, 59590, with your name and location. We'll get to some of those in the course of the show. And why not start right now with a couple of texts right here. We got one from Steve in Toronto. Love your show. Thanks, Steve. Yesterday, when they brought out Romano, they tried to make a new production number out of it. Over-the-top new theme song for him, new video, even an attempt at lightning. It was too much and not at all earned. Players have to know who they are, and as the saying goes, play within themselves. Certainly not have opponents say, who do they think they are? Well, thanks for the thoughts. Appreciate that, Steve. I got to say, I think that Jordan Romano at this point has earned the right to have a light show. I think when you're second in the major leagues and saves, having the kind of season that he's having, I think it's warranted. 
Uh, I, I'm not saying that every middle reliever should have a light show. I'm not saying that we should see Trevor Richards surrounded by his own custom entrance necessarily or Zach Pop yet. But I think Romano's there to that point. Certainly the Orioles do it. Felix Batista has a great one uh, in Baltimore. We're seeing a lot more teams do it. I think it's a fun aspect of the game. Uh, so I, I, I think Jordan Romano has earned it, but I hear you on on your thoughts there and welcome any more texts. Again, you can reach us 590-590 with your name and location during the show. In our next hour, we will be sure to get to some texts as well. And we got a couple of guests coming up too. Ben Shulman, Locked on Blue Jays, play-by-play for the Fort Wayne Tin Caps. And if you listened over the weekend, you heard Ben Shulman calling play-by-play here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. I was alongside him for the color commentary of the Orioles and Blue Jays series. So we'll catch up with Ben a little bit and go granular on the Blue Jays in a couple of minutes. And then Ricky Romero coming up at 4.30. Of course, you know Ricky Romero, all-star, Blue Jays pitcher. So we'll pick his brain as well. All of that coming up in the next hour on Jays Talk Plus on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus on Sportsnet 590 The Fan and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Ben Nicholson-Smith here with you. We've got a couple great guests coming up this hour, Ben Shulman and Ricky Romero. To continue our discussion about the Blue Jays and where they stand in the playoff race, After a big weekend against the Baltimore Orioles, they took two of three. And the man at the mic was Ben Shulman calling play-by-play, sitting beside me in the Sportsnet 590, the fan broadcast booth. We had a great view of all of the action this weekend. And Ben Shulman is now on the line with us on Jays Talk Plus. Ben, how's it going? It's going great, Ben. Uh, appreciate you looping me in with Ricky Romero. I'm a little bit offended for him that we would be uh, mentioned in the same breath, but I will take it uh, as being the great guests of the hour with a childhood hero of mine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's right. Well, Ricky Romero, the only one of our guests to have been a major league all-star, but uh, you know what? We, we still have a lot to discuss here with you. Um, even if uh, you probably don't have quite the same velocity as as Ricky uh, with your with your fastball, I'm going to take a wild guess and say that that's probably true. Yeah, I was uh, instead of you know low 90s. You know, if I hit a low 70, that was probably I was going to tell everyone at school about that. So I'm not not quite Ricky, but I was coming from the left side. Honestly, low 70s is pretty good for anyone who's not a professional player. That's that's honestly. Uh, that's honestly respectable, but um, perhaps more important is the action on the field uh, from this weekend. Uh, Jays and Orioles, it, it was a really compelling series. And I guess just to start our conversation here, what what stood out to you the most about the games that we watched unfold this weekend? I think the urgency from both teams, uh, it, it was a phenomenal series. And for both teams, it was such an important series. Obviously, on the Orioles side, they're just trying to hang around and see how much longer they can string this thing out and if they can, you know, find a way to turn this into more than just a story and make the playoffs. And and on the Blue Jays side, this felt like an opportunity to kind of shed the Orioles off their back and, you know, put them a little bit in the rearview mirror, feel good about your playoff position. So both managers, you know, at different times, I think surprised us with aggressive moves. I mean, Brandon Hyde 
doesn't win the final game of the series if he doesn't pinch hit for his catcher without a catcher on the bench. And the Blue Jays going to Trevor Richards in the opener, even though he had pitched 29 pitches the day before. Both teams, you know, were treating this, it felt like a series. And it, it's really starting to feel like we are in that stretch run, you know, with now about 15, 20 games to go. Yeah, 100%. I mean, there were so many moments this series where we saw players really pushing, whether it was George Springer gets hit on the elbow and he stays in the game and, and he's busting it down the line. Vlad Guerrero Jr. at times sliding head to, head first into second base with the kind of enthusiasm we've come to expect from him. It really felt like from start to finish, this did have a playoff vibe to it. And, you know, I've got to imagine that for the Orioles, you know, this is maybe them fading into the distance. But for the Blue Jays, I, I tend to look at this as a chance to almost ramp up where, you know, you've had your chances to potentially rest. Now you've got a couple weeks. You keep ramping up toward the playoffs because these games that they're about to play here, just given how close things are in the wild card standings, they continue to have huge significance. Yeah, I mean, especially with the fact they're playing AL East teams with the exception of this two-gamer coming up in Philadelphia. It's all AL East teams. Uh, so, you know, if if the Orioles somehow sneak back into this end of the season, that would be a crazy series. And you got the Trop coming up after you go to Philadelphia. So I, I think it's good for them to start to get into a playoff-like mode. This team isn't ridiculously playoff experienced. You know, some of these guys were there for the two games in 2020, which you know, kind of half count in a way because, you know, as they saw last year, the 162 games, you know, there's less or there's, yeah, there's less margin for error. It feels like than the, the 60 game season with the expanded playoffs that they made the playoffs in. So I, I think it's good to, to get the feeling around the clubhouse. I mean, you mentioned Springer specifically, he's, he's starting to look like that playoff George Springer, which is who the blue Jays signed when they wanted to bring in a big star uh, free agent from Houston. So yeah, I, I think it's really good. I, I think it's going to be really fun for the fans, especially to, you know, get one more raise, one more Yankees, one more Red Sox, one more Orioles. Uh, and at the same time, still so much to be decided with the fact that two games separate all three wildcard teams. Yeah. And let's, let's, discuss Springer a little more right here because he's obviously central to what the Jays are trying to accomplish. And I have my scorecards from the weekend here in front of me and I'm looking at Springer's lines and I've just got highlighted circles in red around various plays that he's made, defensive catches. And and we did start to see the power come back to George Springer. So, you know, I have to imagine that as the Jays are, are moving ahead here and trying to map out various injuries, of course, Kirk, who I want to ask you about in a minute here and Guriel Jr., to have George Springer starting to hit for a bit more power and also providing defense in center field like we saw this weekend, that's got to be pretty encouraging for the Blue Jays. For sure. I mean, when George Springer is 100% healthy, which it, it hasn't felt like he's been for very much of his Blue Jay career, he's a premier power hitter at the center field position. I mean, Aaron Judge, I guess, has taken that over with his move from right, but uh, he is still a premier power hitter at the in the center field spot. And he is a really good defender. Like it could get lost in the fact that the Blue Jays have stocked up on defensive replacement outfielders. But if George Springer is 100% healthy, which again, he's, you know, he's clearly not right now with the elbow brace, at least um, he's a guy that you don't need to, to think about moving at a center field a ton. So all the DH days, you know, this stint on the IL and everything just to try and make sure that George is feeling good. 
it looks to be paying dividends and and that's what they need to do. I mean, to, to cross sports, it almost reminds you kind of like a Kawhi Leonard situation where you get Kawhi Leonard, you know, there's some health stuff with that, but you play him 55, 60 games in the regular season. So when you get to the playoffs, he can go all out. And, you know, even if he has to, you know, limp around one game, his body is still feeling fresh. And with George, it's, you know, sure the I'm not sure the elbow is going to feel you know young for the rest of the year but at the same time definitely with that home run in game one that was a big bomb and then nearly a game tying home run in game three he looks like he has pretty much all the pop in that bat that he had before yeah for sure and that's that's huge for the Blue Jays especially at a time that a couple of their other players are on the sidelines and let's get to Alejandro Kirk here a little bit uh, because He's been so important to this team, obviously an all-star, hitting 295 on the season, 811 OPS. And then the Blue Jays have to rest him. He's dealing with some left hip soreness. So he's on the bench and they go to Danny Jansen. And, oh, Danny Jansen has a higher OPS than Alejandro Kirk. So you're actually not taking an offensive downgrade, at least based on what we've seen from these two catchers this season. You call Danny Jansen's 13th home run of the season, a shot to center field this weekend. I mean, I'm not sure how you see the Jays navigating this in the course of the next couple of days. And of course, we'll learn more tomorrow when the Jays start their series in Philly against, against the Phillies. But as things stand right now here on Monday, an off day for the Blue Jays, how do you see them navigating this situation with these two catchers? It's going to be interesting. I mean, a lot of it, you know, depends upon when can Alejandro play. We had heard that he had started running again uh, and he'd already been doing other baseball activities. So I mean, both you and I thought that there was a chance at one point that maybe he would be available uh, to pinch hit at a minimum on Sunday. That didn't end up coming to fruition, but if both of them are healthy, it's hard to take Jansen out of the lineup. I mean, it seems like the consensus, although Kirk is probably an underrated defender is that Jansen, you know, can provide a lot defensively for them. And like you said, it, it's not the same batting average, but it, but he's hitting for more power than Kirk is uh, and providing a ton of offense. I think in an ideal world, you'd love to have Kirk DHing every time Jansen catches and you can maybe catch Jansen more often than Kirk, but then give Jansen a day off, stick Kirk behind the plate. Uh, you know, the concern people would have with playing both of them, which they've done a lot this year, is, you know, the situation that Baltimore ran into, essentially, where they had to forgive their DH and, and get rid of it uh, in the ninth inning of game three of the series this weekend. And perhaps that could keep Gabby Moreno on the roster. His spot probably relies a little bit more on uh, Lourdes Goriel Jr.'s health than it does on Alejandro Kirk's. But I, I think you want to fit these guys in together as much as possible because, just looking at them as hitters, not even the position they play, you know, if one of them's on the bench, you probably have an inferior hitter in instead. So unless you need to DH George or you need to DH Vladdy, uh, I want one of those guys DHing pretty much every game. Yeah, they've been, they've been great. It's certainly a contrast to most teams. And I mean, not to pick on the Orioles because they're, they're having a great year and, and certainly they impressed in their own ways this this series with Gunnar Henderson and Adley Rushman. But on Sunday, when Rushman wasn't catching, it's Robinson Chirinos who's catching. And that's kind of the more typical setup that you would see from a backup catcher. Is this old dude who can handle the position and he's not going to give you much offensively. So, you know, the Jays, to be in that position with Jansen and with Kirk, it's a, it's a really good spot. And we also saw defensively 
Jansen adapting with Alec Manoa, working together for the first time this year after 28 starts working with Alejandro Kirk. And I guess I'm wondering, as the Jays map things out here, Ben, how you see things unfolding and, and how they might approach Manoa's timing for his next start. Because, of course, when he starts and who he starts against, that's a pretty important variable for this team. Yeah, I mean, his next start should be against Tampa. Um, they could now, I don't know. I think, I think he makes that start no matter what. I I don't see why he wouldn't start in the Tampa series. That's your most important series of the season. Really probably left because the Yankees look like a bit of a far cry at this point. So you could line them up if you wanted to, to pitch game two of the Tampa series because of this off day, uh, depends on, on how you want to mix around the rest of the rotation. And, and if you want to call Mitch white up and stuff like that, and then, uh, you can slot him in, you know, if you really wanted to with, uh, a day off, maybe you try and get him in, in the Yankee series. Cause then he gets a lot of rest after that. But that, that if you put him game two, you could sneak him in the Yankee series. I think the hope is after that, you like, if you can shut him down early, before the playoffs, I think that's what I would do. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, you know, limited starts. He's a phenomenal pitcher. He's had a fantastic year. He was good on Sunday. His numbers were really good. It wasn't the easiest start, it appeared, uh, of his life. Like, sometimes he goes out there and the slider is knocking everyone over and they're swinging out of their shoes and they have nothing. He had to grind through that start. Uh, he pitched out of trouble multiple times, and I would not, uh, rule out fatigue for him. He's never pitched this much in his life. He barely even had a minor league career. He's essentially gone from being drafted from West Virginia to being off because he barely pitched in 19 and then no pitching in 20 to being a major leaguer. So I think if the sooner you can shut him down, like if the Tampa series goes the way you want it to, and the blue Jays end up with a solid lead over the Rays maybe you only need one more Manoa start and then you can shelf him for a week or two and make sure that he's pitching game one of whatever playoff round you're in. Most likely uh, that wild card round. Yeah. I think all of that makes sense. And uh, I guess it was about an hour ago, we were talking to Eno Saris of the athletic and, and asking him about what he sees from Manoa from a stuff plus standpoint. And it sounds based on what Eno was saying that the stuff, is declining a little bit relative to where it was earlier in the season. So with that in mind, some extra rest might be a good idea for Manoa. And yet the Jays are in this spot now where, you know, you're about to play the Rays and then potentially the Yankees. So let me bounce a theory off you here. I mean, what do you think about if you put Manoa on the second Tampa game, as you were saying, that's Friday, then that's on regular rest. And then you can kind of have him available if you want for the Yankees finale, but if it turns out that, you know, you're losing for the next five games and the Yankees win five of five and the division kind of goes out of reach, then maybe you actually push Manoa back to that Red Sox series and make sure that he has extra rest. Um, and, and then you're setting yourself up for just a little bit of additional time for him should he need it. And then if you have to use him at that final series of the season against Baltimore, you technically could um, have him available then. What do you think about that? I think that's a great idea. I mean, with the Yankee series too, I, I think, you know, the, the ability to have him on game three, you can wait pretty long before making that decision because even if 
the Blue Jays play a good series, they frankly have to sweep the Yankees to make this interesting at all. Uh, they're, they're too far back at this point to only gain a game on the Yankees in a three-game set. They would have to sweep them. So you could always you know, schedule him, and if you lose either of the first two Yankees games, you just decide to shelf him until the Boston series. And then, like you said, have that emergency Orioles option if you, if you need it, but you hope. I, I think the Blue Jays will be much better set up for the playoffs if they don't have to use Alec Manoa and maybe Kevin Gosman uh, in that Orioles series. But, yeah, I, I think that's, that's a completely valid way to go about it and, and probably one that they're looking into uh, very seriously right now. For sure. I think they would they would have to. Um want to ask you as well about Rymel Tapia. I mean, he's he's basically been a role player for this team, and yet in the Saturday game, the second game that the Jays won against Baltimore, he ends up coming through with a really big hit and delivering for the Blue Jays uh, a three-run double to center field. And that's that's a game that the Jays obviously needed, built a lot of momentum for them. What kind of role, I mean, if the Jays are, not to look past the regular season, because of course there's still two weeks left, but if the Jays are in a playoff series, which I think is pretty fair to say that's that's a reasonable assumption at this point, what kind of role do you see Tapia playing on this team potentially? Uh, you know, I think the, the different look thing is the big thing they like about him. If you if you need someone to provide a little more contact now, granted, he's not the Ryan Altapia that he was with Colorado. He's changed his approach. So it's not 300 slap hitter kind of guy all the time, hit the ball on the ground, but he's still with his, you know, vibes a little bit there. Uh, this situations. Uh, I know that there's definitely a sect of people who don't, uh, believe in clutch or think there's not a, a lot of numbers to back up that clutch exists. But the fact of the matter is with, with runners on base and runners in scoring position for his career, he's been an incredibly efficient hitter. And this year, the Blue Jays have been inefficient in those situations. So uh, on one hand, you know, like, would you want to pinch hit Rymel Tapia for someone in a big spot if they were regular in the lineup? It doesn't feel good. Then again, you mentioned that, that hit in game two. I mean, it, that's the hit that that turns the game. And we have seen so many times this year, a situation like that end up not being converted upon. So, you know, I, I think he's of the replacement outfielders. Uh, Cause I'm assuming in this scenario that, you know, Teoscar and Lourdes are the corner outfielders and that Lourdes is healthy enough to go. Uh, he's the better left-handed bat. It appears to Jackie Bradley jr. He's not the better defender, uh, but maybe there's, you know, if, they bring in some sort of, you know, sidearm righty. Maybe you you pinch hit him for someone like Lourdes, depending on how Lourdes' game or, you know, Lourdes gets in these hot stretches, depending on how the rest of his week's going and, and feel like you have a chance in some big spots. Uh, but I will say there's going to be so much substituting, I think, with the Blue Jays in the playoffs because of the number of platoon players and outfielders they want to have that I'm sure there are going to be a number of times that they're just going to be happy they have another outfielder on the bench, and Tapia can provide you know at, at least steady play at all three outfield spots. For sure. Hey, one more for you, Ben, before we let you go here. I've been asking our guests today about Aaron Judge and Shohei Otani and just kind of their perspective, of course, on 
these two incredible players. And I want to get your perspective as a broadcaster. If you were going to be a broadcaster for Aaron Judge potentially passing Roger Maris for the American League and Yankee record, or be a broadcaster for a team with Shohei Otani, which one would you choose? Wow. That is a tough decision. I mean, it's, it, I, it's one season, I guess, because it's, you know, it's one season of Judge going for the record or, or one season of Otani. It's, it, while win or lose, you can always find joy in a baseball game. Obviously, the Los Angeles Angels have not uh, provided a lot of wins this year. I think, I think I would go with what Judge is doing this year. It's really close. Um, I still think Shohei Otani is the most remarkable baseball player I've ever seen in my life. But the whole the home run chase, there's just something so enticing about it. And when I was young, although it was you know obviously a little bit tainted, the home run chases were going on. You know, I was very young when Barry Bonds was doing it, and and I remember you know just for the Blue Jays, you know Jose Bautista hitting 54, and there was never a real chase there. No one I think thought that he was going to hit you know, 62 home runs or 65 home runs. But there's just something about a power player that really connects. And when they are locked into a zone, there's probably nothing more exciting to watch in baseball. And right now, I mean, Aaron Judge is taking the MVP most likely away from the most ridiculous baseball player we've ever seen. Uh, And it's because he's just so remarkable. 59 home runs with still 20, you know, 15, 20 games to go is is ridiculous. It's more than I ever would have predicted for him. Even mid-year, I was kind of downplaying it, but he has proven me wrong. Yes, you and many others. Uh, Ben, thanks so much for the time. Great job this weekend on the broadcast, and we'll talk soon, I hope. Yeah, thanks so much. Great job, too. Uh, Happy to to hop on for one more day uh, talking with uh, the Ben and Ben crew. Exactly. We were, uh, well, on the games that me and Ben Shulman and Shoali have done, it's uh, six and one, six and one record. So <laughs> that's uh, that's for anyone keeping track. It's a it's a pretty good record for the Jays. Um, certainly appreciate Ben Shulman's time on Jays Talk Plus with us here. We do have one more guest coming up later in the show. That'll be Ricky Romero. You all know Ricky Romero, All Star pitcher, Sportsnet contributor. So look forward to talking to him. Uh, we do have a lot of texts on the text line. So. Continue sending in your texts to 59590 with your name and location. Um, I'll get to a couple of these. John from Markham. My playoff rotation. One Gosman, two Manoa, three Stripling with Barrios as a backup to Stripling. Pretty reasonable take. Um, yeah, that could work. Uh, Eno was saying that you probably want to have all hands on deck for a potential third game in the wildcard series. So however you sequence that, uh, that's that's one way that you could do it. So thanks for the text. Text there, John. Uh, we got a few more here. Uh, lots of people chiming in on the Aaron Judge discussion. And here's one from Carl in Saskatoon. Can we acknowledge the big brain move from Schneider to pinch hit Cavan last night? Got on base for Springer, who nearly tied the game. Lots of people hated on Biggio early in the season, but he's proved to be useful down the stretch. Now, I'm not sure if big brain is a compliment or a backhand a compliment or what. But I think that Carl's certainly right to say that Schneider's decision to pinch hit for Cavan deserves attention. And it was a good call. I wondered about Kirk. Ben Shulman and I were sitting there in the broadcast booth wondering if they might go to Alejandro Kirk. 
They did not go to Kirk in the end. They went to Kevin Biggio. He reached, drew a, a walk, ended up scoring. Um, so that was a really good call. And we've seen Schneider act pretty aggressively with pinch hitters. And that was definitely an example where he uh, made the right call and and certainly um, put the Blue Jays in an advantage position by, uh, by pinch hitting Biggio right there. It's a nice piece to have off the bench. No doubt about that. Even on days that he's not starting, Kevin Biggio can do some different things for you defensively, offensively. And if you need someone to reach, then he is often a good choice for that. So keep sending in your text. We'll probably get to a couple more before the hour is out here on Jay's Talk Plus. That number to reach is 590-590. And please include your name and location as well. Next up on Jay's Talk Plus, Ricky Romero, former Blue Jays pitcher, Sportsnet contributor, someone who knows all about the pressures and the rewards of pitching when it counts the most in Major League Baseball. So we will check in with Ricky coming up next on Sportsnet 590 The Fan and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Ben Nicholson-Smith here with you for another segment. And we've had some good conversations already here. Thanks to our guests, Eno Saris, Ben Schulman, Tim Leeper. And we've got some more ground to cover as well because things really are getting interesting for the Blue Jays here in the next week or so. They will go to Philadelphia for two games. I will be there covering the Jays Phillies series for sportsnet.ca. And then they will be in St. Petersburg at the Trop. Always an interesting place for the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, but first, let's bring in our next guest, Ricky Romero, former Blue Jays pitcher, former big league all-star Sportsnet contributor, on the Spin Rate podcast as well, and on MLB Network Radio. He's everywhere these days. Ricky Romero, how's it going? I'm doing good. How are you, Ben? Doing great. Doing great. It's good to have you on. Um, and I want to pick your brain about some Blue Jays-related topics here. I mean, it's a such an interesting time for them. They're really pushing, and you know, at the center of it all is a rookie pitcher. Alec Manoa, he was out there yesterday. He did what he always seems to do, six innings, another quality start for Manoa. And it kind of, it does remind me of, of your rookie season in a way. I mean, you pitched 178 innings for the Jays in 2009. You were in the American League East grinding. You won 13 games that year. I mean, when you watch Manoa, do you see echoes of yourself at all as he's going out there and, and just dominating these American League lineups? <laughs> I see him being a lot better than what I was my rookie year. That's for sure. No, but you know what? I, I think the biggest thing um, that I've been, I've enjoyed watching from him, from him is the way he, he goes about his business when he's pitching. He's so intense. And, and, you know, I think sometimes we get so caught up in, in the numbers game and the analytical side, but I love for me, when I watch him pitch, it's like, you're watching this dude just attack hitters. He's going to own the inner half of the plate to get the outer half of the plate. He's going to go out there. He's going to compete whether he's feeling 100% or not. He's just going to go about his business the way he knows. And he's a winner, man. That guy just wants to win badly. I mean, 
when was the last time you saw a pitcher, a starting pitcher who's who's starting and he's top step with the guys? Usually the you know, it's it, you're a starter and you're pitching that day, you, you sit in the dugout, nobody really bothers you, but he is like in the middle of everything and just a different guy, man, and, and he's been a treat to watch, a, such a joy for me to in, just turn on the TV and it's like, oh, Manoa's throwing tonight, we're in for, for a show, and um, and the fact that he's going out there and not just going five innings, six innings, it's like he's getting into the seventh, sometimes into the eighth inning, and he wants to go more, and especially late in the season, it's like he's he's getting, he's getting better, and I mean, you gotta credit, I mean, all the work that he's put in, and and uh, and and it, it's it's been it's been a treat, and, and the Jays are lucky that that they've had a guy like this to rely on. Yeah, for for sure. And I mean, at this point in the season, he's definitely in uncharted territory for innings that he's pitched, and and he's pushing potentially with a couple starts left. He's at 183 and change right now, so he could get toward 200 by the by the time the season ends. I mean, you reached that threshold two times, 210 innings in 2010. 225. I mean, you don't see that very often these days. <laughs> That's a lot of innings, man. 2011, you were you were hauling some some innings for the Jays and Manoa. I mean, in, in today's game, to even get to 200 is kind of the the modern equivalent of that. Great. Physically, like what what does a pitcher's body go through to get to that point? Um. I mean, there, there is, there is a lot of soreness that yeah. <laughs> you go through. And I think it's honestly, the key is what you do in between starts, how you take care of your body. If you're in, you know, for me, it was like, maybe I'm in the cold tub, hot tub, sauna, trying to, you know, get all that, that, uh, that soreness out of your body maybe seeing the masseuse a little bit more, um, maybe getting a little bit extra acupuncture on your elbow, on your shoulder, just to make sure that you're ready to go. I know, I think, I believe I read that he stopped throwing uh, bullpens in between sessions because now it's like the time where it looks like they're going to make the playoffs too. I was never in that type of territory, but um, every bullet counts, and he's doing a good job of of holding back on that um, in between between starts and and not throwing his bullpens. And I think at at one point for me, uh, especially when it gets late in the year and you feel pretty tuned up, you feel like those bullpens really are – are not going to do anything other than maybe, you know, maybe you work on your curveball or your slider or whatever it is. But <clears throat> I think it's what you do in between starts that, that, that'll that help you kind of with the longevity of the season. And it's crazy that he's gotten into 183 innings and and there hasn't been any complete games in there. And um, it, it just speaks volume. When, I mean, for me, it was always the goal to make my my starts without being interrupted by either injuries or whatever it may be, it was like, I got to get to 30 plus starts every single year. That was my goal. And obviously I had a, <laughs> the perfect role model in front of me, uh, my rookie year and Doc Halliday yeah. was the epitome of it. So, so I had, I had that to look forward to, um, and trying to obviously keep up with him. But, uh, like I said, Manoa, I think, I mean, that big body, man, I mean, he, he's so big and strong. And, and I think that's, that's that's what's carrying him through through the through this season, and obviously he's he's um, he's stayed healthy, and that's another thing. Obviously, when you're able to stay healthy and you're able to, like I said, take care of your body, I think that that's huge. And and again, you you credit him and and the work that he's putting in, and you're seeing it. I mean, he's not a guy that's going to blow your tires uh, with a hundred, but he's going to go out there and pitch. And that's what I just completely love about him is the way he pitches, the way he attacks hitters though he ain't scared to hit you man and <laughs> you you don't see very many pitchers like that nowadays where they're gonna own the inner half of the plate 
Well, and and he does a really good job of it. He he really does. And and he's a pitcher who seems comfortable intimidating the other team. And I find this so interesting. <laughs> you know, I find that dynamic like really, really interesting. And I wonder too, like I, I wonder what you think about this as a former pitcher, because sometimes when I'm watching Manoa, even in his prep, like he will do long toss. And so, you know, the, the Jays bullpen, of course, in left field at Rogers Center and the visitors in right field. And he'll do long toss that almost like borders into what I am. I'm, I'm an outsider, so I don't know the nuances of this, but it would seem to me that he's kind of edging on the territory of the other pitcher who's warming up. Did, <laughs> does, is that a thing? Like, is that possible that that's happening? I mean, it might be. I mean, it might be something that, I mean, that, that he, I, I feel like he's a guy that this is my routine and I really don't care who yeah. I see in front of me. I'm going to stick to my routine. And if I got to stand where the other pitcher is standing, I'm going to go and stand there because that's my routine. It's yeah. just what I do. I mean, it, I mean, I'm sure it doesn't go to that extreme, but um, he's a guy that's right now, obviously feeding off of confidence too. I mean, he's on top of the world and, and rightfully so he, he deserves it. And he reminds me, I mean, I'm sure you would agree. He's like a right-handed version of CC Sabathia. I yeah. feel like he was the same way, like where it was like CC when he got on the mound, it was like, I'm going to intimidate you. Like I'm going to pitch in and I'm going to let you know. And if you want to come at me, I dare you kind of type thing. And I feel like that's the same, same mentality that, that Alec Manoa takes to the mound. It's like, he cares about winning so much. And, and you just see it in his post game interviews, what he says and, and stuff like that. And how much, um, the team means to him and, and winning. And I mean, they're doing a lot of that this season. That's for sure. That's a great comp, actually, the CC Sabathia, because Sabathia, too, obviously big, tall guy, strong guy. And he wasn't someone who necessarily was throwing 99. I mean, certainly he could, he could hit good stuff, obviously, uh, to win Cy Youngs and do what he did. But, you know, Manoa, that I really like that comp. And so I, I guess it makes me wonder, what was it like when you faced a guy who was as big and strong and intimidating as CC Sabathia? <laughs> I always used to say I'm not facing him, so that's the True. good thing. I gotta face the hitters. That's 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 kind of the the mentality that I would take. And I mean, I remember I was, you know, I mean, this is when Zach Greinke was going well. I think the, I believe the year that he won the Cy Young. I think it just brings a little. Not, I mean, I feel like I brought it every fifth day. But like when you're facing guys like that, you know that it's gonna be tough. You're like, man, like one run max. Like I got to match this guy zero for zero. I mean, him, Felix Hernandez, like CC Sabathia. I mean, even I throw in Andy Pettit, like those guys, all those guys were, were solid guys that you knew that um, sometimes they can shut down a really good offense. So you just knew that you just had to come out and match those guys for zeros. And if you did that, you had a good chance at winning. And I was, I was on the right side of things uh, usually when I'd face those guys. And, uh, and obviously it does bring out, a different different version of yourself because you want to be like, all right, if I'm going against King Felix, I want to, if he goes seven, I want to go eight or nine, yeah. you know, and just show him. And then other day, other days I was on the wrong side of ends. I mean, I was pitch against Justin Verlander when he threw a no hitter against us. And, <clears throat> but it's fun, man. I mean, that this is what it's all about. And I feel like for Alec, no, it's only going to keep getting better. Uh, obviously it looks like they're going to make the playoffs and he's going to get a taste of that. And, 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 it's going to be fun to follow his career uh, going forward, that's for sure. Yeah, it, it definitely will. I think the next, honestly, the next few weeks have the chance to be so interesting from a Jays standpoint. Like, if they make it through that wild card, it really is going to be, you know, it, it could be 
an, an incredibly fun time to be following this team. And I'm wondering, you know, as you're watching them and obviously following closely, offering analysis um, to, to various platforms, I mean, who are you? Who else are you watching most closely on this team, whether it's a pitcher, whether it's a position player who's caught your eye? Who do you think are some of those guys that are, are really key to where things go for this Jays team? I mean, I, I've always been a huge fan of Vladdy. You know, I love the way he carries himself. And obviously, I feel like that's an easy answer for a lot of Jays yep. fans. But I just, I, I, to me, I, I, I love, like, what he's about and the energy that he brings to the team. And, and, and you know, you see it when he hits a, a double or and he, you know, that I feel like it's becoming a signature slide where he just dives into yes. second base and he gets up and he's pointing at the dugout and all that stuff. And I, I, I've always admired him, his energy. And I think it's because I've gotten a chance to know him off the field. And, and just, I just know the type of kid that he is, how great of a kid he is. And um, that, that's definitely one guy. And I mean, it, um, for, a, I guess for, for like a sleeper pick, I, I, I wouldn't even call it a sleeper. And, and I feel like um, if we get the best version of Alejandro Kirk going forward, um, what we saw in the first half, and I mean, how he was a machine, a hitting machine. Um, I think this this team is that much better, and um, and obviously uh, um, that's a guy that I like to follow too. And I mean, it, I, I like the whole team, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's one of those things where, uh, um, but for sure, Vladdy and Kirk are two guys that I I, I like focusing on, and um, and it's crazy because I I find myself being a fan and, and, and watching the game and, and watching the way they go about it and the way they take at bats and how passionate they are. I'm, I'm, I'm sure this young team is, is obviously smelling it and, and getting into the postseason. And, um, and then I'm sure, you know, once they get to the postseason, it's obviously not going to be easy, but um, it, it's definitely a fun team for me to just follow and, and watch and, and just continue to see these guys grow. I mean, Jordan Romano is another guy. I mean, I, yep. I used to be throwing bullpens next to this kid, and I just remember some some of the pitching coaches saying like, "Hey, man, like this this kid is going to be really really good." And I'm like, "Who is he?" And they're like, "Jordan Romano." It's like, "Oh, okay." And then next thing you know, boom, he, he's at the back end of that bullpen doing his thing, and just awesome to see some of these guys that when I was part of the organization have grown into uh, young stars and 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 credit to them and and, and the work that they put in because they put themselves in this situation and. They've uh, they put up the results, so good for them. Yeah, they they really have, and all three of those guys that you named, Vladdy and Kirk and Romano, they're relatively young in their careers. I mean, this is a team that in 2020 they technically made the playoffs and they had a quick exit against the Rays, and that that's a series that no Jays fans were able to watch here in Toronto because, of course, it occurred at the Trop and it was after the pandemic season, so it kind of feels like a bit of a blip. And then last year they just missed and. You know, now they're they're pushing and they're going to make it, barring some sort of massive collapse. So I, I guess, what do you think it's like for Vladdy in particular uh, to be in this spot where he's, uh, a, you know, an established player in some ways, but obviously still a young man. And this is, in a lot of ways, his first chance to really have an extended playoff run with the Jays. Yeah, I think he, he relishes this moment. I think this is what... what this is the end goal for him. This is what he wants to do. This is where we've seen it, right? Where young stars become, you know, legends in this game. And if he's able to go out there and do his thing and continue to lead this team and, or be a part of this leading this team, then his, his, uh, 
the legend status is going to continue to grow for him. Obviously, he came in as a very, very high prospect. I still remember being at his, um, at his, uh, when he first debuted, and it was, it felt like a playoff game. So I can just imagine, you know, them hosting a playoff series at the Rogers Center, how, how big that would be. And obviously, if he's in the middle of having impactful games, obviously, he's, he's, I feel like he was made for this moment. I mean, he was made for 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 big moments like that, and and I think you're just. I, I he's another guy that I think you're just seeing the beginning of it, and it, I think it's just his the legend part of him is going to continue to grow the the older he gets, and um, this team has a good core, and and I feel like this is the beginning for this whole for this team as a whole, and. If it's Vladdy in the middle, Vladdy and Bichette in that middle of that lineup, I mean, it, they're they're in really really good hands. Yeah, I like that. I like that way of putting it. Legend status. I'm trying to approach and, <laughs> and get to legend status. That's that's awesome. And Vladdy, Vladdy hey man, wants I, didn't, that. I, I didn't have that. So these guys have a chance to do that. And um, and yeah, I mean, I'm sure the playoffs are special. So uh, it's one of those things where I feel like I think they like like you mentioned they they lost to the Rays and it almost didn't really feel like a like a playoff game but I think they got a taste of that of, of that and I think if they left a really really bitter taste in their mouth that they I think they're 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 going to be ready for this for this uh playoff run for sure for sure well one guy who has definitely achieved legend status is Albert Pujols and I want to ask you about him as well <laughs> I mean this guy and I was I talked to Vladdy about him last week and Vladdy just like so has so much respect for him and Wander Franco too you know where's number five in honor of Pujols and it feels like there's so many especially Dominican players but you know Kevin Biggio is is an American player who, who loves um, Albert Pujols and what he's brought to the game despite having hit a massive home run against his Astros when he was a kid so I, I'm just curious like Pujols debuted in 2001 it's all like it's such a long time ago here he is still hitting home runs what do you make of what Pujols has been able to do here in this last season amazing I mean I did <laughs> I didn't even think that like 700 was a possibility at the beginning of the season. Obviously we've seen the last couple of seasons. He's kind of been a platoon, a, a platoon player, but it almost seems like right now he's, he's becoming that guy for the St. Louis Cardinals and they're rolling and uh, he's been a key part of it. And it's just amazing, man. I think um, I, I've gotten to know Albert Pujols, not the baseball player and just the amazing human being that he is. He's a guy that, Anytime I've had hosted camps in, in, in my hometown of East Los Angeles, I'll shoot him a text. Can you send me a signed jersey? No problem. Boom. We auction it off or give it away or something like that. There's never any ifs or buts with him. And um, I've been part of some of his charity events and just the amazing work that he does off of, off of the field is, is, is amazing. And he's a great human being. And it, it couldn't be happening to a better person. I, I really hope he does get to 700. I, I, I'm sure, uh, uh, I'm sure he will. I mean, shoot, uh, it, he's what two home runs away, and I think it would just. I'm, I'm sure the icing on the cake is already there for his unbelievable career, but I think this would just be an amazing feat for him to just be able to to reach. And I know he he doesn't look like he puts too much emphasis on it because he's come out and said he's going to retire no matter what. Yeah. But I think we as fans want to see it, um, and. I guess the good thing is that he, it doesn't seem like he's putting too much pressure on himself because again, he came out and said, if I end up on 699, that's I'm okay with that. I'm okay going home 
and 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 that being it but obviously us the baseball fans we put so much so much emphasis on this number and we want to see it and uh and i hope he does get it yeah a hundred percent i hope he does too i think he's i think he's going to it's hard to say obviously but i think i think he will if anyone can um and and i guess i i also want to ask too like i've I've been asking everyone on the show today about aaron judge and what he's been doing and uh, you know i don't know how you feel about this as a as a pitcher obviously you're not you're not facing him in this moment in time but 59 home runs and pushing for the triple crown i mean when you watch aaron judge like what what do you think about the season that he's had amazing uh, i love that he bet on himself man i think he yeah. got crushed early in the season when he rejected that big contract extension by the new york yankees and and he bet on himself and and it worked and it's working out for him and you know i i i love seeing um big time achievements so i do hope he gets the triple crown anytime you're able to do that especially in this day and age um it's it's crazy to be able to to do something like that and to put yourself in that in that kind of position and he's I mean, shoot, if if the Yankees don't re-sign this kid, man, I'll, I think all hell is going to break loose in New York. <laughs> but he's been amazing to watch, a tough out. I mean, he's been the heart and soul of that New York Yankee lineup uh, when they were struggling. He was one of the guys that, you know, has just been consistent all season. And, and the fact that he's doing it out in center field, too, is what makes it even more amazing. And, you know, playing a prime position like that and, and, and and being the heart and soul of the New York Yankees, uh, I mean, says a lot. And kid is a winner. And, and, and I've enjoyed just watching his highlights, watching those monster home runs that he's hit, and just how he's been so clutch, too, man. I mean, I feel like I, whenever there's a walk-off, it seems like he's in the middle of it. So uh, um, he, it's one of those things where credit to him, but I hope that the Blue Jays catch him in a division and, and they end up in second place. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that would definitely mean a very entertaining couple of weeks. Um, Ricky, really appreciate the time. All-star pitcher, all-star guest. Really appreciate it. Thanks, man. You got it. All right, that is Ricky Romero, former Blue Jays pitcher, Sportsnet contributor on the Spin Rate podcast, which is always a good listen and, of course, a contributor on MLB Network Radio. So thanks to Ricky for his time. I like his comment about Vlad Guerrero Jr. trying to find legend status here in the course of the next few weeks. And really, this is a big time for the Blue Jays to be able to kind of reinforce who they are as a team, um, to try to build some individual moments and reputations as well. Clearly, they have not gotten to where they want to go. And a quick exit would be incredibly disappointing for the Blue Jays given where they are and the fact that they are arguably the third best team in the American League. Um, some might say they're a better team than the Yankees right now. The Astros clearly are better than the Jays, but you know this is a this is a team that's that's a good baseball team. They've got their flaws, and of course, those of us who watch the Jays every day like to discuss those flaws, and and I think we should discuss those flaws. But this is a very good team, so. You know, if they do get past that wild card round and really make things interesting, then maybe we will see a Bo Bichette or a Vlad Jr. and Alec Manoa have some of those moments that, as Ricky was saying, take players from being, hey, this is an all-star player to legend status. And uh, that'll be a lot of fun to watch. As we said before, the Jays are off today. So no game tonight. They will be in Philly the next couple of days. They have Ross Stripling on the mound tomorrow night, followed by Kevin Gosman. A couple storylines that I'll be watching those couple of games. Alejandro Kirk, of course, can he come back? Um, will he be back in the lineup? Otherwise, 
what sort of timeline is he on as he tries to get a little bit of rest for the left hip that has sidelined him for the last couple of days. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. also on the injured list right now. So that is another question for the Jays as they make their way toward the end of the season. Can Lourdes Gurriel Jr. come back? What kind of uh, restrictions, if any, exist for a player who's been dealing with a hamstring issue? So Lourdes, Kirk, those are obviously big questions. Um, And then it's how do you create separation over the Rays and the Mariners? Because realistically, you really want to be that number one wild card. And of course, you know, I say that for for the fans of the Blue Jays and people in the city of Toronto because this team, this city definitely deserves to have some home games after what it went through the last couple of years, but also just strategically and tactically. You really want to be at home, have that home field advantage, be in familiar circumstances. Um, I think that for all of those reasons, it makes sense to be at home. And if some of the opponents aren't able to cross the border for certain vaccination reasons then so be it so that's the rules that exist for all major league players and we'll see how things unfold on that front but certainly a big week ahead for the blue jays just two and a half weeks remaining in the regular season so we will be watching very closely as all of that unfolds that is it for us on jays talk plus today so thanks very much for listening in blake murphy will be back tomorrow he'll be back hosting um jay's talk plus as always doing a great job i always try to listen even if i'm not a guest or host in this case blake does great work on the show um so thanks for letting me sub in for the day blake and thanks as well to producers jr manitad and Derek brandeo make sure to listen on the blue jays talk blue jays talk podcast feed i'm sure some of you are listening on the podcast feed for anyone else you can find it wherever you find your podcasts Toss in a rating, toss in a review. No game tonight for the Blue Jays. They will be back in Philadelphia tomorrow at 6.30. Jays Talk Plus will return then with Blake Murphy as your host. And until then, I am Ben Nicholson-Smith saying thanks for listening on Sportsnet 590 The Fan and the Sportsnet Radio Network.